Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 60, with Eric Bottomer. Welcome to episode 60 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome Eric Bottomer to the podcast. Eric is a uniform designer at Adidas's NHL division up in the Boston area. Prior to his time with Adidas, Eric has an extensive design career working at consumer brands such as Nike, The Gap, Abercrombie & Fitch, Reebok, and Target. In addition, Eric has also been an adjunct professor at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, or MCAD for short. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet Eric at the Major Level Creative Connect Conference in Houston this past spring, uh, and he's, he's also had a few cameos on the podcast in episodes 35 and 47. Welcome to the show, Eric. I appreciate your time to come aboard the podcast, this time sort of officially. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate the uh, the invite. I'm uh, I'm actually humbled and honored. So uh, thank you very much. Awesome. Well, Eric, for those of us that maybe aren't familiar with your story, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown um, of where you've been? You've been obviously with a lot of big brands um, in in the fashion world, and describe your past, sort of that leads leads us up to where you are today up at Adidas. Yeah. Um, uh, the quick story is. Uh, I went to I went to Pratt uh, in Brooklyn. I graduated there with a degree in graphic design, and even back then, I knew that I wanted to do something in sports or entertainment division. Um, and so, my major concentration in in my senior year was actually like kind of like redesigning logos, and it was. It was at that time that the Marlins had just joined the league, the Rockies had just joined the league, and you know it was the early '90s, and there was this huge influx of. Uh, sports design really coming to the forefront with companies like uh, SME uh, taking over and rebranding everybody. And, you know, if you remember the early 90s and you look back to the design back then, it was, you know, uh, very overwrought logos, multiple color color palettes, you know, six, seven, eight colors in, in a palette. But, yeah, um, it captured my attention. And after college, I ended up, uh, my first real job um, that kind of, set the tone for where I would end up now uh, was actually a new era cap company um, outside of uh, my hometown, Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. And I ended up there for, uh, I was only there a very short time. I was there for six months. And uh, in that time is when I really got a taste for sports design, sports logos, um, and just the, the capability and the opportunity of what else was out there. Now, at the time, New Era was was still just a, a small cap company. They had Major League Baseball, they had Minor League, but they had not grown into the you know lifestyle and consumer behemoth that they are right now. Right. Um, you know the, the the fitted and the you know, the the flat brim and then the snapback was not you know it wasn't in our cultural vernacular the way that it is now. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's much it's it's almost like uh you can almost liken the hat culture a little bit to sneaker culture now where it's like, you know, collecting and and that type of thing. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, exclusive collections and, you know, every retailer wants their exclusive and every, you know, musician or uh, street artist and, you know, designer, you know, there's there's these collections that, that pop up and it absolutely is. It's a whole culture unto itself. Um, when I was there for the six months, you know, I kind of look back and I tell people, I'm like, I, I don't think they knew kind of what they had at the time. I think they were quite content and just having minor league and major league baseball and a, and a small retail business. But, uh, once, um, Chris cook took over, uh, after his parents uh, retired, I think his vision really, you know, propelled them into where they are now. And a lot of that had to do with the luck of having, um, Spike Lee come to them and ask for, you know, a Yankees hat cap in red not the traditional Navy, you know, and then that also, uh, sprung into like, you know, if anyone remembers Limp Biscuit, <laughs> yes. And Fred Durst wearing the red hat. I yeah. Mean, I remember that. It's like the tra- trademark red hat and the white t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But it was like simple things like that, that really kind of propelled them into, you know, where they are now. So, um, but yeah, I, more I, the pop culture. Yeah. So the business aspect of it aside, I mean, I, really got a taste for for doing sports logos at the time because we were doing like uh you know if a minor league baseball team was popping up you know d league uh, a league wherever it was um we would go to those teams and say hey you know we're going to be doing your cap so why don't you give us the opportunity to actually design the logo for you too so these teams would you know a franchise would would pop up in huntington west virginia and they had they didn't even have a name yet, but we would go to them and say, "Let us let us do your logo. We're going to do your cap anyway, so let's let's work together." Mm-hmm. So they were basically giving away free design, and I don't know if they still do that or not. But uh, that's where I started to you know really get the the love for like what I you know what I was doing in terms of being able to come in every day and sit down and draw rhinos with bats slung over their shoulder and you know, that kind of you know these you know wacky team names that kept popping up in you know minor league baseball especially in the early to mid 90s i mean some of the you know the crazier the name and the tie into the region and things like that you know they were they were great i mean some of them are most of them are still around and they're they're just brilliant so um but uh, I kind of, you know, that's where I was like, oh, this is great. I love doing this, but just, yeah, I want to do more. Like, there's got to be something else out here. And um, Buffalo at the time in the early 90s was not the most uh, dramatic place to live in terms of culture and um, livelihood. You know, right. it, it, I love my hometown. It's seeing a fantastic resurgence right now with uh with in every aspect so um it's one of the reasons why i moved back there um uh when i left target we'll get to that but um it's it's a great place to be now back then still a great town but i wanted something more so when i left new era i actually ended up uh in los angeles for a very short time uh just doing some freelance work uh and it was there that i ended up answering a, an open call ad in the in the paper for design nike looking for designers and um you know i i i've been very fortunate and and blind dumb luck in my career it's to just have things like that kind of fall into my lap um i saw that somebody posted last night on twitter like um 
you would, you know, they, they posted the, the question of, you know, how do you become a uniform designer? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the answer to that, <laughs> there is no simple answer to that. Um, in my case, it's just been a, it's been the, a run of jobs and and career moves that have just kind of backed me into it just from experience. Uh, it's it's my passion, it's my love, but it's also gaining the experience in the different places that I've that I've been. I mean, there's certainly no job ads out there that you're going to find in the want ads that say uniform designer wanted. You know. Um, it's just kind of one of those things that I, I've picked up every little nuance and inherent, you know, ability to do it over the course of the years at, at different places. So um, we can touch on that more um, down the road. But the thing about the the open call, you know, thing with Nike, I mean, that was it was just an ad in the L.A. Times, and I was like, oh, that that's perfect. That's like exactly what I was looking for. So like, that was in Portland, right? The, the Nike's in Portland, yeah, and I was in LA at the time, and it was just you know, send your resume, come talk to us, and I got a call, and I you know went to a hotel over by the airport and met with a, a recruiter, and uh, yeah, we talked about sports, and he had seen that I was at New Era, and they were looking for young you know young people, and at the time I was only. 25. So, um, God, that was 20 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to date myself. So, uh, but he, you know, I think he recognized, uh, you know, the passion and, you know, the willingness to, you know, want to, to get better. And, um, I ended up, uh, you know, going up and interviewing with some fantastic people who are still there and still doing all of the work that you see with, you know, the Oregon Ducks and the NFL and stuff like that. I met with and interviewed with Todd Van Horn and um, a great apparel designer by the name of David Turner, who's uh, quietly responsible for, you know, the Denver Broncos bat wing and, and a lot of other uh uniform designs and functions and features that that are being used and have been being used since you know 1996 so um and and didn't did you work with rodney richardson there i did that's where rodney and i met and i worked with rodney for the for the time that we were together there and um had a great time (laughs) rodney's a, a fantastic designer obviously um but but an even better person i mean uh and his family are just fantastic, and uh, you know he's just got that great down home aw shucks you know sensibility about him. He's as humble as can be, and um, you know he, he was he he really uh, you know came in when he came into Nike, just like kind of set the place on on fire. You know, I mean he, him and a lot of the other people that were there that I still keep in touch with. I mean it was a great time to be at Nike um, that period between 96 and 2000. I mean, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of really talented people, but I think the pool of talent that they assembled at that time in, in what was called the uh, uh, Nike team sports division was pretty unparalleled. I mean, the, everyone from that department has gone on and done pretty amazing things not only rodney but uh uh everyone else has has, you know had great careers and done a lot of amazing things with different brands and different companies so um you know they they they, todd and his his crew did a fantastic job of hiring the the right people at that time so um was he leading that division at the time todd yeah he was uh todd's been there since since the inception 
And uh, I mean, it's his vision that I still, you know, it's his vision that has led and led that charge all these years, you know, since, since the Broncos, since, uh, you know, the first iteration of the Oregon Ducks and all of all of it since and the NFL and everything. So, um, you know, he was a great he's a great storyteller. He's a great mentor. Uh, he's a great guy. And I know for myself, I have taken everything I've learned since day one there and applied it to everything I've done ever since. I mean, just the storytelling aspect um, and being able to get concept, you know, it's, it's not just pretty pictures. There's, there's, there's reason and purposefulness behind it. Yeah. I know a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people obviously that, that sort of look up to Todd. I mean, he, he's uh you know, if you look at some of the big names, if you look at some of the names that you sort of associate with Nike, you've obviously got Tinker Hatfield. Yep. Obviously, Mark Parker, who's who's just killing it there as as CEO. And then I think um, maybe not a, a little less mainstream, but uh, you know, people Todd probably fits in <laughs> in that world. You know, he actually we almost had him. I almost had him on the show on episode fifty. He he had agreed to come aboard and. Uh, Unfortunately, we just Nike PR. We just we couldn't couldn't make it work. Oh, but, that's um, too bad. That, that would have to be a double episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. It's it. I tell you, man. It's tough to fit everything in one hour. I mean, it's it's sort of a, you know, the uh, people just tend to have attention spans that aren't aren't that long. I, usually when I see podcasts that are like two hours, it's just, it's too intimidating. It's like, I don't have time to listen to that, you know, but <laughs> unless you've got a really long drive ahead. Of yeah. You. I have to do like an, a part one, a part two or something. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think one day down the road, yeah. If it's not already in, in certain circles, Todd's name is will and should be spoken in the same regard as, as Tinker's is, you know, um, and what he's done there since 1995, 96, I mean, it is pretty incredible. Um, they're who everyone looks to and always has. Right. Um, now, did Tinker ever bleed over into some of the team sports type stuff, or did he just kind of stay in the sneaker world? Because obviously he was an Oregon alumnus. Yeah, no, early on when, uh, if my memory serves me right, early on when we were first given the directive from, you know, Phil Knight to you know, make Oregon your play, your playground, you know, mm-hmm. I think, um, which is a cool, uh, a very cool mission. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like, here's the, here's the keys go crazy. So, um, if my memory serves me right, yeah. Tinker was part of the initial, um, the initial push and not only from the shoe end of it, but also, uh, I think he and his team, you know, just coming at it from a different direction. I think they threw some ideas and concepts into it, um, from a uniforming standpoint, at least, you know, from a uniforming aesthetic standpoint. And I know that we leaned on them heavy in the beginning in terms of, um, materials, you know, uh, obviously in the shoe design world, there, there's so much more of a, a wealth of knowledge in terms of materials that can be used in, 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 in colors and how it's applied and how, how color is going to be uh, taken to it and stuff like that. And I know we leaned on them quite a bit in the beginning, um, you know, just for their expertise, just, just to get uh, ideas from them, you know, like, you know, if they're working on a cleat, can that material that's being used, can that somehow be translated to the to the helmet or the uniform or how can we get that fantastic color that they've got what material and source fabric can we use on 
something to, to tie it all together. So um, there's definitely, at that time, there was definitely a cross collaboration going on. So That's cool. um, I would expect as much today. Uh, you know, I don't know the inner workings, but I would expect as much today, just the, whenever they do a uni release, it seems like everything's just so succinct. So, um, you know, there's no, doesn't seem like there's anything left unthought of, which is, it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's really, everything's well thought out. Everything has a purpose. And, um, you know, that to me is, is what's important. I mean, uh, my kind of philosophy stems from, uh, one of my, uh, my professor in, in college, who's my, my first real mentor, um, uh, a graphic designer by the name of Charles Goslin, who's no longer with us, but um, he was an American graphic designer in the in the in the kind of vein of a Paul Rand, Saul Bass, like very everything's about you know it's it's a visual language. You can tell the whole story without using words. Um, very graphic, uh, a very graphic uh, designer. Um, but his 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 mantra, which has become mine, is make it purposeful and make it beautiful. Which you know, to me, is exactly what uniform design or any type of design should be about. You know, right. there should be purposefulness and a reason behind why you're doing it, and make it beautiful. You know, make people stop in their tracks and go, I I, I want that. I don't I don't even like hockey, but man, I want to buy that jersey. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And there's a reason, you know, and it's a reason. It's not just, oh, we did two stripes because two stripes look cool. And it's like, eh, you know, that's, <laughs> why Why did you do the two stripes? And there's got to be a reason for it, you know? Well, and I think sometimes, like, you know, I think it depends on what the project is. But, you know, if you look at sort of rock posters, I mean, they, a lot of times they have no substance. It's more just like it's entertainment, right? And I, and I think there's probably, occasionally there's a place for that in sports in terms of, like, you know, if you have a yearly, I don't know, like a poster for your your team or just like the volleyball team or something like that, you know, you might kind of just like push the envelope a little bit in Photoshop, but, but there's really no theme for the year. Sometimes the coaches have a theme, sometimes they don't. And, you know, sometimes it's like, well, maybe it's okay just to kind of do something that's entertaining, trying to build excitement as opposed to like having some nice copy written headline <laughs> or something like that, you know, like there's a place for it, I think, in some some areas. Yes, but. no, I, I agree. I mean, I think yeah, if you're talking like a team poster and it's you know you're just doing some great you know Photoshop work and 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 things of that nature, I think that's that to me is a different kind of a beast. I guess I'm just thinking more in terms of actual you know like identities and identity and branding yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. And it's totally. you know, it's just oh, I picked the trendiest you know the latest trendy font and you know did you know just typed it out and called it a day and it's like you know right. you, you didn't even kern it you didn't, <laughs> yeah. you didn't do anything it's I like i typed it in helvetica like uh, michael Beirut or whatever and there's no yeah. kerning <laughs> so you know there's there, there's 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 a lot of that but um that's neither here nor there i mean right. that's, when i was when i taught when i have taught um, you know, graphic design 101 that's one of the things is i i've been tried to instill in the kids is that um you need to sketch. You need to get a big fat Sharpie. You need to get a blank white piece of paper and you just need to doodle. You just need to sketch. Don't even go to the computer. Don't sit down at the computer until you absolutely know you flushed it out in your head and, and, and run through every iteration that you possibly could of what 
this logo could be and why and why it is what it is you know right. uh, what are your reasons you know for it um the computer and illustrator and, and photoshop are just are just tools like your pencil or your or your brush don't use them as your as your end all um solution you know the right. solution comes from your head not from you know not from the pixels so um, for sure man let's uh you know you you obviously you spent almost four years at, at Nike during a, a fantastic time, it sounds like, and got yeah. to work with some great people that went on to did, to did awesome things. But you also, you, you spent quite a bit of time outside of the sports industry with, uh, you know, time at Abercrombie & Fitch and Gap and, yeah. and Target. Why don't you talk about your move to Abercrombie & Fitch and sort of, you know, moving outside sports for a little while and, and sure. And that type of thing. Do you, do you want me to touch a little bit on my time at Nike in terms of any like unif like uh, doing the hockey stuff because that's kind of where the hockey thing yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, let's and yeah for then sure. I've gotten back into it now that I'm at at Adidas. So yeah, it comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. yeah. I didn't want I didn't want to skip out on that. So let me just touch on that real quick. So um, so when I was at Nike, um, I, I was had the you know like I said I've kind of had some blind luck sometimes. Um, I got to Nike and I was literally the only person who knew anything about hockey. <laughs> and um, I, I still remember, I think it was one day Todd uh, stopped me in the hallway and he's like, uh, he's like, Hey, you're, you're from Buffalo, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, okay, good. You're, you're the hockey guy now. <laughs> it was literally that easy. Yeah. Uh, and so I, what I'm doing now is, uh, is, is, is wonderful because I've, I've, Refound my um, gotten back into what I love doing, and uh, um, when I was at Nike for those years and working on uh, projects, uh, helping out, working on projects like Denver Broncos, like the Oregon Ducks, uh, we did the New York Giants, you know, we're uh, you know the Steelers. I mean, all that kind of a, all that um, NFL stuff and collegiate and collegiate football. Um, that's when I got the opportunity to. Uh, we had the NHL at the time, and part of that deal was that we also outfitted the Double IHF. So we were doing every level of Double IHF, uh, from D pool all the way up to A pool in your um, in your national uh, national teams. So that's when I really, really got into what I'm doing now, which is the uniform designing aspect of it not only from an apparel design aspect of it but also the design aesthetic of the uniform the embellishments and you know what we all look at and see the striping or the patterning and um all of that so that's where i got into it um and i was very fortunate to have gotten there right at the right time when we were starting the when i started they were just finishing the tail end of the production work for what was the 1996 World Cup of Hockey. So um, I really got to sink my teeth into the tail end of that in terms of the production aspect and, you know, sublimation printing, um, learning all the ins and outs of that, uh, just the production end of it. And that's where I kind of cut my teeth on that. And then from there, we rolled right into uh, – the Olympics. So the 98 Olympics in Nagano, uh, you know, we were able to outfit uh, all 14 teams that participated in that tournament and, you know, working with um, a very small design team. It was myself, uh, another designer, uh, one apparel developer and our uh, pattern, print and pattern person. And then um, our apparel designer, um, 
David Turner, who came up with all of the, uh, who was doing all of the jersey actual silhouette design uh, and everything like that. And then obviously it was up to us to dive into each country's history, not only uh, hockey history and heritage, but you know the the country the country history, you know, and what were things that we could take from the culture of the country, whether it be folk uh, folk art patterns uh, from Slovakia or um, uh, you know Russian aviation posters or Czechoslovakian stamps and graphic design from that era or uh, from those regions from different eras and things like that, and we kind of pulled all you know and Canada and USA and. Uh, you know, looking at, uh, I know for USA, there was a lot of the inspiration came from like, uh, we wanted it to be speed and fast. And we were looking at uh, the space program. We were looking, you know, back at like uh, uh, Bonneville, Bonneville, uh, you know, salt flats, uh, speed cars and uh, NASA, um, just, uh, you know, speed, you know, uh, the, the rockets taking off and that kind of a thing. So we looked to a lot of different thing uh, a lot of different areas for you know uh, each country to kind of pull from in terms of you know the overall graphic design aesthetic because we knew that we wanted each team to sort of have its own identity and not be overly cookie cutter um and that's where uh that's really where it all kind of came together for me i mean I, I was very fortunate to have worked on that project and had a lot of success with it um you know outfitting canada and the u.s and the czech republic and um you know teams like sweden they're not really going to change a whole lot there's not a whole you know they're very like here's what here's what we want you know <laughs> they dictated exactly what they wanted we didn't have much right. choice in that matter <laughs> but you know we can have some fun with the slovakias and um austrias and, and and the czech republic was like you know awesome to work on because they were like we don't want to look like anybody else we don't want to look like russia we don't want to be slovakia we want our own identity and that's where the uh uh if people re look back at the 98 olympics and, and dominic hashik's performance and winning the gold medal they had that huge word check on the back of their on the back of their uniform and that mm -hmm. sort of stemmed from their conversation and their uh wanting to be different they they wanted to stand out and to me it was like check very short staccato quick word check and i'm like found you know it's going through some inspiration i believe it was some some graphic design some poster design along with some uh stamp designs and stuff where they had like words split in blocks of color and knocked out into a negative space and i started playing around with that and that's um that's how that came to be i mean it was a very uh it was one of those moments where as soon as you see something you start doodling it you realize that's it like you know like your first gut instinct is the right instinct and that's how that came to be so if you look back at pictures of of the czech republic in that tournament and dominic hashik and um yager and those guys you'll see that big check on the back of their on the back hem of their uniform and right. um to my knowledge that had never really been done before and it, they um the Czech Federation, the Hockey Federation, they loved it because it, it made them stand out. I mean, they had the, they, that was their identity for a number of a number of years. Um, you know, no one else was really doing anything like that. Right. So, and those are some big teams, man. To 
to affect like a visual history of. I mean, that's you know that 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 goes down in more than just sports history, but obviously country history. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, uh, sometimes I kind of have to sh- you know pinch myself self still and be like, "Geez, I, did I really work on that? <laughs> that was a long, you know, it was a it was a full court press. I mean, we had, we probably put that whole program together in God, I want to say nine to maybe nine months, maybe a little longer. Wow. Uh, we might have we might have had a little more lead time. I can't remember and uh, remember now, but. Um, it was just every day, all day long, you know, working on that. But it was it was wonderful. I mean, it was like probably the highlight, you know, up until currently and the stuff that I'm working on now, which uh, I'm getting to, you know, I'm back in the fold, so to speak, and and uh, you know, working on my passion, which is which is hockey mm-hmm. and uh, hockey design, which is great. So um, my time at Nike was was absolutely wonderful uh, i worked with some amazing people there uh most of them that i still keep in touch with and you know it's 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 kind of you know it's, it's it dawned on me not too long ago that um uh kind of humbling to be able to you know see a a post pop up on facebook from you know the hockey hall of fame and a jersey you designed is in the picture and i'm like oh yeah that's really cool you know, it's like, oh, here's Dominic Koshik's, you know, 1998 Olympic jersey, and it's on display now at the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, hey, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that idea came out of my head. You know, it's um, it's kind of humbling. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. No doubt, man. I mean, that's it's awesome to have that just as as a something to be able to point back to. And a lot of times I talk about on the show how in in sport. Um, well, in, in really any any type of design, but especially in sport because there's so much of a passion behind it as far as like the fans are concerned and the people that play sport is that you, you really get an opportunity to leave a legacy in your work. True, true, yeah. Um, well, well, let me ask you this. What led to the leave, what, what led to leaving Nike? Like if it was, it sounds like you're doing work that was like you were extremely passionate about working with great people. Yeah, you know, it was, it was you know, looking back, it's, um, uh, and I, I've questioned, I've questioned leaving a, a number of times over my, over my life. And, and, um, you know, what would, what would I be doing if I stuck around or would I even still be there? I, you know, who, who knows? But, um, I had actually, um, at the time I had a couple good friends of mine who I had been working with there had just left and gone to Abercrombie and Fitch. Which was still, uh, you know, a blip on the radar. Really, hadn't really grown into what it what it had become. And uh, I had just gotten married, uh, or was about to get married. And my um, my wife at the time, my ex wife, uh, was from Chicago. And so we had, were getting married. We were talking about starting a family. Um, and I I just made this decision to, to do something different. I mean, I was loving what I was doing, but at the same time, um, just needed a different challenge. Maybe I just needed a different challenge. And I know that I think at the time also, we were not going to renew the NHL contract. Uh, we had lost it to, um, like the pro players of the world. And that's when the NHL had like, you know, different vendors doing things. It was like 99, 2000 or whatever. So we lost the, the con or we didn't re up the contract. So that was going away. And, um, I think the NFL was in limbo. We weren't quite sure if we were going to be doing that again. And subsequently we didn't. Um, 
you know, they went to the, I remember they went to the NFL with this all inclusive deal. Like, uh, we don't want to just do, you know, eight teams. We want all the teams and this and that. And the NFL told them no. And then like six months later, they gave the same exact deal to Reebok. And it was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) So, So it was, um, I think it was a lot to do with that. Like I wasn't sure what work was going to be there that I was going to be passionate about. And so I, yeah, I just kind of made the conscious decision for, uh, to do a new challenge. And so I had a couple of good friends that had gone to Abercrombie. They spoke highly of what was going on there and the company being on the upswing. And they spoke highly about Columbus, which I'd never been to Columbus, Ohio. So, um, it was kind of a life decision, sort of a, a career decision as well. We decided to move to Columbus and start a family and be closer to both of our respective families, you know, kind of halfway between um, Buffalo and Chicago situated right. in, in Columbus. Um, so that's really how that that came about. And, uh, you know, I loved, uh, you know, working at Abercrombie was very interesting. <laughs> um, it was uh, I, I'm not that consumer, but, uh, right, right. you know, but it was, and, and, uh, and uh, most of us weren't, you know, most of us that were there were, uh, in their demographic, but, um, we still had a really good time. Again, a great group of people. Um, I've never worked anywhere that hasn't been a, a phenomenal pool of, of talent and, and, quality people to to work with and to call friends uh, both then and now so right. when um, Columbus seems like it's that's sort of the uh, consumer apparel uh, almost uh, I don't know if it's just like for that particular demographic it's almost like the capital you know like yeah it's like a hub down there with um you had limiteds there uh, limited two or justice whatever it's called now and you know, with limited, you got Victoria's Secret, you got Lane Bryant. There's a like, yeah, it's basically everything you see in a mall. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then Abercrombie <laughs> pops out of that, and then you know Hollister is there, and um, you know it's funny. Columbus is actually a really big. Somebody told me this once that Columbus is actually a really big town for a, a test market, a test market town for uh, restaurants, restaurant chains. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. So, like, if somebody's going to open up, like, if you know they're going to open up a new brand or a new chain restaurant they'll test it in columbus or if they got menu items they're going to test it in columbus and i thought that was really interesting because i guess it kind of makes sense it's a very um you know it's, it's very it's very america you know it's very middle america but yeah, it's midwest but there's money ohio there. state sure yeah in ohio state and you know i think there's a theme to my a theme to my career and my the, my path that I've taken is that I've always gotten in places on the ground floor uh, before the upswing. So when I was at Nike, uh, the team sports division had just kind of been founded and was sort of getting its traction. And I was there during the whole rise. Same kind of thing with Abercrombie. I got in on the ground floor, was just starting to gain traction. And I was there right through, you know, from 99 through 2003, you know, really great, you know, the heyday of Abercrombie, basically, you know, where, you know, could do no wrong, you know, put Arch Abercrombie on anything and it would sell. So um, we had, we had a really good time. And I, uh, I 
was doing more graphic design there, and that's kind of where I started getting into more of the apparel graphic design um, and really learned a lot about um, fabrication, fabrics, uh, cut and sew, finished goods, and just um, not only screen printing, screen printing techniques, uh, but also um, you know applique uh, and different substrates to, to create that... Um, that vintage look and and a lot of the job was kind of um you were almost a a part graphic designer part mad scientist or detective like you had to figure out how am i going to make this look like it came out of a thrift shop thrift shop or you found it at the at the goodwill you know how are we going to crackle this ink how are we going to you know misalign this you know these um uh, this this pattern or this um, you know the applique fraying the edges and washing it and you know and all that kind of stuff because some of it had to be built into the actual artwork and some of it you know as, as uh, processes developed and inks uh, you know vendors develop new inks you know the self cracking ink and all these crazy things where it would come out of the dryer and you'd pull the shirt and it would crack like uh, like the old heavy plastisols of uh, the seventies and stuff like that mm-hmm. so. It was it was a uh, it was really interesting because you're constantly trying to uh, you know reinvent the 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 same thing. You know, it was like we uh, what's the phrase? Um, we want the same but different. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what ways can you arch that name but make it fresh every season? You know, color technique applique you know that kind of a uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing so it became uh, it, it could get frustrating at times because it's like oh, i feel like i've run out of ideas but you know uh they had a fantastic r&d um department there that was constantly looking for new ways and new things to do and washes uh, fabrics inks uh, working with ink vendors and stuff like that so it was it was it was good we had a lot of fun and um you know, surprisingly, the culture was is just as relaxed and chilled as you could expect. Yeah, <laughs> so, t-shirts and jeans and people riding around and scoot on, on scooters and you know random bonfires in the middle of uh, the campus during the day and stuff like that. And, <laughs> You know, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, the the offices and the facilities are fantastic and. Um, you know, it was during the reign of uh, of Mike Jeffries, who, um, for all of his quirks and um, eccentricities, um, really was at the at the top of his game at that time. Um, you know, he pushed that brand right to the edge, and, and sometimes maybe over. But um, uh, it's everyone you know enjoyed everyone enjoyed the 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 the. the the uh, the success there, so um, and rightfully so, because everybody worked their tail off there. I mean, um, early mornings and late nights and last minute changes and um, yeah, it, it was it was a very very good time. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Now you you then moved to the Gap and there you're design director. You're working uh, more on kids kids brands so you've really you've spanned a large gamut in terms of demographics (laughs) yeah i have and you know when people ask me now like what i do i say well i'm kind of a jack of all trades i mean i've worked on 
women's and juniors and I've worked on kids product and men's product and I've done hang tags and labels and zipper pulls and any you know and caps and backpacks and you know soft goods every every variety of soft goods you can head in hand scarves hats caps belt buckles whatever you want um yeah at Abercrombie I got um my most of my time there was spent working in the kids on the kids brand um for the boy uh, on uh, boys graphics and the kids brand and that just parlayed itself into an offer from uh from gap kids uh again i had some friends uh leave abercrombie and they ended up at gap uh in new york city at gap kids and you know they put my uh name into the you know into the ear of the right people and um I ended up there and you know, I ended up kind of getting recruited by gap kids to go there and, and, um, work on their, uh, on the boys side of the kids brand for gap kids. So that was, that was a lot of fun. I was there. I was only there. I was only there two years. Um, but we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a good time. I mean, that was a tumultuous time for, for gap. Uh, I think we went through a couple different CEOs at that time and they're, you know, I think they're still trying to find themselves and who they are. Um, but, uh, you know, I was at the New York design offices, which was kind of an odd thing because we were sort of just working autonomous from the rest of the company out in San Francisco. So it was, it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. So, um, but we had a lot of fun. I think we did a, you know, we did a lot of really great work that uh, reinvented what the kids' brand looked like. And you know, even now, I mean, I, the friend of mine that I worked with at Abercrombie, who I brought with me over to Gap, I mean, he's still there. He's now he's now uh, my position at. Um, I think he's now creative director, art director over Gap uh, Gap Kids uh, Design. So he's still there. He's still fighting the good fight, and you know he's turned it over and evolved and with the times and with the trends. And um, you know their design looks top notch. I mean, from a graphic design standpoint, it looks it looks great. I just hope mm-hmm. the rest of the brand you know catches up because Gap itself is kind of floundering in a lot of ways. So you you uh, kind of moving along. You took some time. Uh, you for for three three years three and a half years, and you were design manager at at Target. And you know Target is one of those companies that is notorious for good design, from products being designed by renowned industrial designer and architect Michael Graves to yeah. focus on quality branding and visual aesthetic within the company itself. It's it's often mentioned among this in the same sentences with Apple's and yeah. Nikes of the world as far as being a design-focused company, in what ways would you say that your experiences at Target influenced your design career, and are you able to tie any any of that as far as what you learned there into some of the things that you're doing today? Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, my going to Target was again a, a career as well as life decision. <laughs> so we ended up going to um, Minneapolis, which I love. Minneapolis, great town fantastic city uh target was an interesting beast um it's an interesting animal because um you know it's funny i have a i have kind of a a a love-hate relationship with my time there because i love the people i worked with um the work i i think you know i we were always trying to you know it's funny because you say and this is fine i i'm 
going to just speak honestly. Um, the outside looking in is that, and to your point, is that it's always revered as this great design, um, this high level of design and spoken about very highly in, in design circles. But it's mm-hmm. funny because having been on the inside, I, I and now being on the out, I don't feel that way. I oh, think wow. yeah. I think a lot of the design and the and the sort of aesthetic and the look is it's not really what you get when you're there. Uh, huh. I'm trying I'm trying to be politically correct. No, be honest, uh, man. That's what it's all I'm about. Trying to be politically correct. <laughs> a lot of you know, and I may have a, a, a skewed perspective of this, but I feel like the product design. That was being done in 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 soft goods absolutely is one hundred percent all the people that work day in and day out there. Uh, same thing with hard goods. So the betting you buy and threshold and all those brands. I mean, that's coming from the people that are working, the designers who are working in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. The visual aesthetic that we see on television commercials and billboards and this, I'm not sure where that comes from. Because it seems to me my take was that that's coming from outside agencies. That's not coming from the internal component of target marketing. They, they're they kind of – it's weird like – I don't really know how to talk about this because it's like I have my own I have my own <laughs> kind of perspective on it. Like, um, <laughs> like they have this very like yeah, everybody has this perception about what target design is, and and they've maintained that over the years very well. Um, but for whatever reason, my time there, I kind of got the feeling that like none of that was ever really done in house. It's all done by outside agencies, for good or bad. I kind of. I personally have an issue with that. It's like, I, I feel like, you know, and I guess you could point to Nike and go, well, all of Nike's commercials are done by Wyden and Kennedy, so what's the big deal? And I'm like, yeah, but right. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just. There's something about being in-house with uh, that knows the brand better or more truly, right? Yeah, that doesn't translate from the, the, it's like the man behind the curtain kind of a thing. It's like, you know, there's one portrayal to the public of what it is, but then having been behind the curtain, it's kind of like, eh, it's not really like that at all. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you always hear it mentioned at like design conferences or like it's always referenced in articles and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And that's not to say the people that work there aren't doing great design because they are. And I think a lot of my hang up was the fact that they did go to outside agencies so much when I knew full well that the people internally were more than capable of creating the same stuff or, or even better. Um, Mm-hmm. Or the people in-house were just being used as production people for what an outside agency created, which, you know, I, I you know, I just don't agree with. I think if you're going to have these talented people and creative people in-house, use fully utilize them. Don't just have them, you know, doing production art for packaging and stuff like that. I mean, I think there's a, there's there's yeah. a role for that, but if you have people that are better than that, don't just have them doing that. So. Um, Right. I don't know. I kind of got off tangent there. I just did. That's like. Um, well, one thing you did get to do in Minneapolis is uh, you were an adjunct professor at, at MCAT. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. You you mentioned earlier some of the some of the things you taught, but I sort of uh, I sort of just have this mentality that we as 
designers should be teaching. I mean, we in in other disciplines, it's almost like in the world of business, it's like let's keep uh, let's keep everything secret, right? Like let's right, right, right. Let's because you know to to get ahead, we don't want to or we want to keep uh, as much of a um, an advantage as possible over our peers. And and I just feel like in design. You can teach someone things like software, and you can teach someone things like just the basics of typography. But the reality is, is what what really makes us stand apart isn't necessarily our work itself, but it's more like our world, our worldviews, our personalities, how we go about doing things, and then that that stuff eventually finds its way to our work. You know, I think when you when you can have all those things come together, and then have that influence your work. That's when you really stand apart. You know, yeah. everybody can execute something in the in the software, you know, or they should at least be able to. <laughs> yes, yeah. no, I, I I agree exactly. And um, you know, teaching was something that I thought about for years about even going back to school and getting a, a you know a different degree and maybe teaching high school art or something like that. Because I thought back to my my kind of my upbringing, and you know, I didn't. What I'm doing now and where I've been and what I've done, I never knew that this was a path I could take. I didn't know I could work. When I was in college, I didn't know that there was, you know, maybe I just didn't realize, like, yeah, I could go work for a Nike or I could go work for, you know, a retail clothing company. Like, I didn't realize that that was an opportunity and it was never spoken of either. You know, um, and yeah, I think I still, a lot of professors aren't aware. It's yeah. it's pretty crazy, and that's yeah. sort of why I started this podcast too, is just to bring a, raise awareness about this discipline. Yeah, that there's you know, hey, there's people out there that are doing that work that you see. You know, it just it doesn't just happen all of a sudden right. overnight by magic elves. And it's just it's just not covered as much in the print magazines of the world and the com arts and that type of thing. Exactly, and and. Um, you know, I think there was a good conversation at a uh, major level about how uh, sports design is kind of, you know, this, you know, uh, low, you know, it's kind of looked down upon sometimes by this, you know, these highbrow design, you know, right. folks and stuff like that. And I think uh, it might have been one of the guys at Torch, I forget, who was saying, no, I, th- I think they're looking up to us going, man, I wish we could do that, you know? Yeah, and I know Ricardo Crespo, who I've mentioned before on the podcast, and was just a f- super smart. Oh, it was Ricardo. <laughs> yeah, it was Ricardo that said that. You're right, correct. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like from the outside looking in, it's everybody looks at it as like this cool stuff. Yeah, um, which it is, but it's also a grind too. I mean, there are things conceptually that it, you have to think about, and then that type of thing. Yeah, it's not all sunshine and and, and rainbows. I mean, it's the <laughs> yeah, exactly. same type of fights and and client issues that you're going to have whether you're working on a a new identity for a bank or you're working on a new identity for a you know, major league soccer team. I mean, you're still right. going to have the same ins and outs and the same issues and and, and stuff like that from from a, a client standpoint. But um, uh, just going back to teaching, I. Uh, I had always wanted to get back in, into it. I wanted to get into it because of just the the fact that you were touching on too, and that I alluded to was that no one ever really talked about the opportunities that were available to to designers out there. Um, you know, when I was in school, and I think even currently, when I have taught and or I've spoken to kids and done mentor programs. The professors and people don't talk about like the opportunities that are out there. Everyone just talks about, oh, you'll be at an ad agency, you'll be at a marketing group, you'll right. be, you know. It's like, no, not everyone's going to be Darren Stevens. You know, you're not going to be just doing ads all the time. I mean, there's so many avenues that you can explore out there. 
And it's like, you know, if, if you want to do, you know, sports design, there's sports, there's working for professional teams, there's working for entertainment groups, there's working for the Nikes and Adidas's of the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, directions you can go. There's also places like, um, if you want to do like t-shirt graphics, you know, sports, but sports related, you know, you can work right. for fanatics, you can work yeah, for equipment companies, software companies. I mean, right. it's like, it's just opened up so upper big deck, now, you know, uh, yeah. our, our friend, uh, Aaron has gone to upper yeah, deck. Yeah. Aaron Masick heading over to upper deck. That's right. So, uh, I think that for me was a lot to instill what I've learned and what I've found out through the years back onto the kids um, that are in school because I, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, I didn't have that. So I want to share back with them and, and hopefully open up their eyes to see what, you know, what else is out there that they can do. Um, part and parcel to that is also the fact that like we alluded to before about great design, not just being on the computer that's starting with sketching and ideas. Um, when I taught, and you know, if I teach again, I'll follow the same uh, course, which is the we didn't we didn't touch the computer until the end of the semester. Every, the full three quarters of the of the beginning of the semester was all ideation and concept and sketching and hand doing everything. We never did anything on the computer until the very final uh, project. And wow. that was a culmination of everything that we had done before. So we, st I started them off with doing ideation and conceptual, just visual language, um, uh, visual language projects. You know, coming up with icons. Um, you have to redo the signage at a zoo. Come up with the uh, come up with the I the new icons that you're going to use for all the visual signage at a zoo. You know, how do you draw a polar bear? How do you draw a penguin? How do you draw a lion? You know, how do you uh, you know, concentrate that down into the most, you know, simplest of visual elements that's going to get across to any visitor, whether they're from Des Moines or Berlin or China coming to your zoo. They look at that and they know lions are that way, you know, yeah. without using a word. And so, you know, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of that, a lot of getting them to, let go of their preconceived notions and just let the let the gestural drawings flow. And in that, speaking to them and talking to them about their style or their voice. And like you were alluding to, um, you know, who you are and your your upbringing and, and your, your views on the world and all that, your musical tastes and all that. And everything that makes you, you comes out in your graphic designs, your, your, your style, your sketching, your, right. you know, whatever it is. And it, you know, instilling in them, like, you know, if you like so-and-so's design style, like let's say uh, Charles Anderson design, I love Charles Anderson out of, out of Minneapolis. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're a big fan of his work. Okay. Don't just knock Charles Anderson off though, but you can look to him and emulate and pull inspiration from him, but find your own, find your voice, find your style. And everyone has an inherent style. Embrace it and make it your own, you know? And um, yeah, if you look at an example would be like uh, Johnny Ive over at Apple. He absolutely looks up to um, Dieter Rams, you know, the, 
yeah. German industrial designer. And you can really see some of the, that's the clean lines, the rounded corners, and that type of thing has really made its way into Apple's digital, well, and physical world. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I love Deer Rams. I mean, that's, that's totally my style too. I mean, that kind of just emulates from, um, or radiates, I should say, from uh, you know having Charles Goslin as a as a professor and my mentor in college. Um, that's totally up his alley, and I think it just inherently is my style too. Like my, I'm a very clean, simple. I don't like extraneous stuff. Um, you know, Swiss grid. You know, I, I love that. It's just that's just what appeals to me, it, and. Um, it's inherently my style too. So, you know, I struggled for a long time as a graphic designer wondering what my style was or over the years as jobs changed and I was freelancing and stuff like that. Um, what is, what is my style and do I need to change my style? Do I need to, you know, it's like, cause I, you look at someone like a, um, over the years, you know, people that have gotten, popular or their style has become popular like a john contino he has right. his style is he ever going to change that probably not he just he does what he does he does it well and he's and it's just who he is yeah, and you it's know? who he is and that's kind of like that's been a long road for myself as a graphic designer to accept the fact that i have my style and that's just how it is and i don't need to or want to really adapt and change for the times because my, you know, I think my, my style is my style. And, um, you know, that's just, uh, it took me a long time to get to that, to right. realize that it was okay, you know, to, yeah, to sure. design the way you design. Um, but that's one of the things I try to, you know, instill in students and, or if I'm mentoring somebody and, and stuff like that is, is, um, you know, find your, find your style, find your niche and, um, and grow with it, you know, and explore it and, and push it too. you know, push right. it, you know, I, I'm sure, I, I'm sure John Contino didn't start out doing what he did. Uh, you know, he may have, or it may, it's evolved. I'm sure if he, if he pulled out sketches from 15 years ago, you can see the noodle of what they are now, you know? So, right. um, and even if you're not doing that type of work, you know, it's like create that work on the side. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, I think as designers, we're always you know kind of looking at everything and going, "I would do it this way. I would do it that way." Or I would love, I know, or you love something and you're like, "God, I wish." I think that was that was a big thing for me is that I would look at things and I'd be like, "Wow, why can't I design like that?" Right. And I would stop myself and I'm like, well, "That's just not how you design," and that's yeah. okay. And you've had different experiences in life. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it, yeah, it, that's different exactly influences, it. different tastes. Right, and it's like I, I've been kind of trying to work on this analogy of, of graphic design style and, and finding your voice with being a singer. Not everybody sings the same. Not everyone has the same you know timber to their voice or or style to their voice. You know, and I think that's what makes. Um, you know, that's what makes music so so great, and that's what makes you know one singer sings a song, and you know, um, you know, I don't know. It's, this one just popped into my head, but like the song, Hello, the, the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. Leonard Cohen's version and Katie Lang's version, much different than, um, uh, oh, what's his name's version? Um, 
Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley. Thank okay. You. <laughs> I knew it was I just, a Jeff. I just Googled that. I just Googled like the song and then that was like one of the first YouTube videos. That Thank you up. very much. You know, same song, different stylings, each one with its own character. And, and that to me is sort of like the same thing as, as graphic design. They each are doing it in their own way. They're not making um, apologies for how they're doing it, you know, and each one appeals to, to a different set of, set of people, you know, right. so if you took that as an example of how you could do a poster for something three different people are going to do it three different ways and uh, you know it's it's all a matter of um neither one of them no none of them are wrong it's just a matter of which you know which which ones do you do you gravitate towards or as a client which one is right for the client you know so uh, and ultimately the client you know the client is is reaching out to you and because you have an inherent style, you know, and if people are wanting that John Contino look, they're going to go to John Contino. You know, if someone's going to go to, you know, if someone wants, uh, um, you know, a specific style, they go somewhere else or, you know, so it's that kind of thing. Speaking of styles, Eric, the late Massimo Vignelli, a famous graphic designer known for his constant use uh, perhaps overuse <laughs> of of, uh, of Helvetica, <laughs> and the idea that you only need five fonts in your repertoire. Oh um, yeah. He he has a quote where he states, "quote If you can design one thing, you can design anything." End quote. And yeah. I, I noticed on your site you have a quote that sort of reminds me that uh, a little bit, and I definitely agree. And and it says, "quote Great design transcends mediums." It doesn't matter if your final product is living in cotton, paper, or in the digital world, end quote. Can you sort of elaborate on that a little bit um, and sort of uh, give us some insight into where you, you gathered that thinking? Yeah, um, you know, that actually stemmed from some of my trials and tribulations after I left Target and going freelance and kind of venturing out on my own finally and... Um, Dealing with uh, looking for freelance clients and looking for projects, but uh, also at the same time here and there, I would also look for um, full-time jobs, you know, uh, particularly when I moved back to the Buffalo, New York area and I was looking for full-time jobs. I was, um, you know, seeking out the places in town that I thought would be best suited for me, like a new new era Um you know, local ad agencies, marketing groups, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and even even down the street from me, there's uh, Fisher Price Toys, just uh, just a couple blocks away from me. Um, you know, and I figured with all of my experience, having left Buffalo when at a young age, coming back, getting all this experience, doing all these things, you know, um, I, I thought uh, I would have you know a relatively easy time finding finding a, a, a nice job in Buffalo. But um, I didn't find that to be the case, and um, I kind of struggled with that. Uh, and I also uh, not only full time jobs, but freelance jobs too. Even just um, trying to pick up, uh, you know, sign, uh, freelance work with marketing agencies, design agencies, things like that. I, I kind of felt got to a point where I had done apparel so much, and that people looked at my site and looked at my work, and they said, "Oh, he just does T-shirts." And I started to think about it, and I'm like, I need to preface what they're going to see on my site with the knowledge that just because it's on a t-shirt doesn't mean that I can't also do your healthcare brochure or do a great logo for you. And um, so it was kind of to set people up 
for that when they look through my work. I mean, that doesn't right. mean to say that there aren't, you know, short-sighted people out there. And, you know, you, you, not everybody you talk to when you go looking for a job is the person you need to talk to. You know, I have found, I have found that in looking for jobs, you need to kind of get through the layers. You know, you need to get past the the HR person, the recruiter. You need to get to talk to the to the design people who speak your language. And 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 I find that that you know translate to a, having a much easier uh, much easier time. Um, you know, I actually had a similar scenario when I left um, the sports marketing company that I worked for out of school, I was sort of getting burned out on sports work. And as I was approaching new work, it was like, oh, you're the sports guy, aren't you? And, and like now I love that. You know, I sort yeah. of just rekindled my love for it and, and embraced it. But back then it was like, yeah, I mean, of course the content is sports, but there's still typography here. There's still like things that transcend the, the actual content, you know? Yeah, and, and and for me, I guess it was my... It was my way of being able to say to someone from an agency, or let's say, you know, uh, Fisher Price, for example, for them to look at my work and be able to say, you know what, I, I would hope that they, you know, if you're a designer, you're an art director, you're a designer. Let's put the recruiters and people of the world out of out of this equation. But if you were to look at that. You can see in a t-shirt graphic, you can see that there's still great design. There's still all the principles that should go into a great design applied. Color, strong typography, layout, all of that's still in place on a t-shirt graphic. You could, you should be able to look at that and see what a person is capable of doing. That they can do your healthcare brochure. They can do your direct mail piece. They can do you know, your logo. And um, I guess I just, it stemmed from getting frustrated with I didn't think I didn't feel like people were were getting that, you know. They were they were being very short sighted. And um, a funny story actually happened uh, after when after I had moved to Buffalo and I had uh, moved back, I should say, and I started to send out my resume and knock on doors and you know, um, uh, and agencies and local uh, you know advertising firms and stuff like that. I must have sent out, uh, let's say I sent out a dozen, you know, resumes and cover letters and links to my website and all that. Didn't hear a thing. Not one person, not one, not one thank you, but no thanks, or we don't have anything, we'll keep you on file. None of that. And then finally, one one guy did call me back. And a great guy um, by the name of uh, David Buck at Crowley and Webb in Buffalo, New York. He was the only guy to call me back. And he said, I saw your site, love your work. We don't have anything, but you know what? I want to meet you. I want you to come in just to touch base, love what you've done. We're not going to find, you know, people, you know, and I went in and I talked to him, great guy. And and we had the same exact conversation and he was shocked. He was like, nobody's contacted you but me. And I said, yeah. And he goes, really? He's like, wow. He's like, he goes, I'm not surprised. He goes, I think people just tend to be short-sighted, you know? And, um, and you know, he was funny. He was very gracious. I mean, he was very, he was like, he goes, people, he goes, you know, um, people would be hard pressed to find someone with your resume and your experience with, you know, in town. I'm surprised people are knocking on your door and I'm like, well, I am too, but you know, say la vie, you keep moving on and you, and you keep plugging away. So, uh, do you think some people don't reach back out because they sort of look at the work and they're like intimidated or a little too, or just like, well, he's, he's over experienced. We can't, we can't afford him. 
Yeah, I, I think that could probably possibly have a lot to do with it. Um, I feel like I, that happens a lot. I mean, I, I even had situations similar where you know it's like you've been doing this. I've been doing this now for ten over well ten years. Yeah, right at about ten years, and um, you know it's like you know that people will respect your work locally or local agencies or whatever and then it's like but you just there's like it's almost like it's either too threatening or like you know he's gonna steal all of our clients <laughs> i mean it's almost like just that small market mentality yeah, right yeah yeah no you know it's funny because i've had that conversation with a couple of good friends of mine uh who live there and and uh they've had the this the same whether they've had similar experience but they they've had the same exact take on it that people look at it and they're like oh wow well he's got all this great experience he's too experienced or he's going to cost a lot it's yeah. like <laughs> so it's like let's not even waste our time talking to the guy yeah and it's know? like you, you haven't even talked to me you haven't even asked me you know it's like that kind of thing and um yeah, it's funny, or, or geez, if I bring that guy in, he's going to steal my job, and it's like, oh, jeez, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's that bummer, smart, small market. My mentality's always been, and it's funny because I remember even um, going back to Todd Van Horn. I remember Todd, you know, he would get resumes, you know, all the time, and he was one of those guys who would bring people in. He's like look at this guy's stuff. You know, it's great. It's industrial design. He's doing, you know, motorcycle jackets and all this stuff. He's like, he goes, we don't have anything, but this guy's stuff is great. We got to bring him in just to meet him, you know? And he like, he had that vision and wherewithal to be like, if I don't use them now, I've got them in my records for later on when we do need them, you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, I just for for whatever it's worth, it was just interesting that um, that's how that all came about. So um, part of it was, um, it, it, but there was a the, there was a time. Um, well, this wasn't actually all that <laughs> long ago. Um, seems like ages ago. Uh, this is all just like within the last three four years, um, and within that time that I've been uh, the tail end of my freelance um out on my own world uh i actually did a lot of souls like soul searching if you want to call it or uh trying to find myself in terms of who i was as a designer and what i wanted to do um what made me happiest you know what was um my passion and that's how i ended up uh, you know, making the conscious decision that, you know what, I, I really, really want to get back into sports design. I mean, I'd always, always loved it. I've always followed it. Um, and, you know, having been at uh, in, in retail apparel and doing other things all these years, I finally was like, yeah, I got to get, I got to get back into it, you know? And, um, I could see that there was this uh, surge in it too. You know, this this behemoth rise in its, um, uh, you know, people coming out of the woodwork. You know, doing concepts and on Behance and uh, you know sites like Aesthetics and Sports Logos and all that dot uh, net and you know just just seemed like all of a sudden all these people who also had that same passion were so accessible, and and people like yourself. You know, and I was like, you know, all this is out there. That's what I really love to do. I got to go for it again. I got, I got to find myself in that world again. So, you know, it's interesting. Like this, this, it fits closely to a, a recent weekend reads 
newsletter that I wrote where I talk about how for years, you know, I just ran from it. I ran from sports design. This is like where I'm supposed to be. Um, and it always just felt right, but I just got burned out. And it was, it was just that, that mentality that you're not respected amongst like the, the highbrow design <laughs> firms, you know? And it's yeah. just because we didn't have a community, you know? Now, now that there's like a little bit of a community building, it's like now you can actually go and say you're a sports designer in it. And it means something as opposed to like 10 years ago and, or, or, or beyond, you say you're a sports designer and people are like, what's that? Yeah. What, you know, do, you, what, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now we can be proud of it, you know? Yeah, and even now people, you know, you tell them what you do and they're like, so wait, there people get paid to do that? Like, you actually do that? I'm like, well, yeah, how, do you, how did you think it happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, everything has to be designed at some point, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's how um, I, I ended up making that decision to, to start seeking out, you know, what it is that I love to do. And um, it was by complete, almost a bit of luck, I guess, that, that I landed, uh, you know, where I am now at, uh, at Adidas. So, um, yeah, when you first went there, it was, it was Reebok, right? And then they took over the NHL. uh, Well, yeah, it's, it's one of those, I mean, they're owned by Adidas, obviously. Yeah. It's one of those quirky deals where, um, I am technically an Adidas group employee working on Reebok product currently. At the Reebok at the Reebok headquarters, you know, but we're owned by Adidas, and so it's it's all of that kind of thing. So it's kind of I just say Adidas now because ultimately, you know, in the that's next, what it will be. Uh, yeah, in the next year and a half, yeah, the NHL product is is going to be Adidas. So right, it's much right. easier much easier to say Adidas now, especially with both brands repositioning themselves. Um, yeah, Reebok kind of going more after the CrossFit type type stuff. Yeah. CrossFit, fitness, and uh, Adidas um, aligning themselves more with uh, uh, true sport and training, um, and obviously MLS and NHL, and well, the NBA for the for the time left uh, on the contract. So yeah, right. it's um, it's interesting. But I, um, you know, I've always had that um, passion for for sports design, and always, especially jerseys, uniform design. I, as a kid, um, 11, 12 years old. Was you know like I oh I've always for whatever reason have always wanted the uh, the most real on ice game authentic jersey that you could possibly get. Yeah, I remember like looking in the back of Hockey News when I was. 12, 13 years old and, you know, study hall in junior high, looking at ads in the back, like, who makes these jerseys? You know, who, where can I get one of these things? You know, and realizing, oh, it's this company called Masca, you know? And I was like, that's, that's who I, I want to get one of these jerseys. Like I, I didn't want a replica. I wanted the yeah. real thing. Like I was like, like so ins- insatiable about it. Like I had to have one and I made my father drive me up to, um, just over the, the Niagara River into Fort Erie, Ontario, and go to a hockey shop so I could get a real Buffalo Sabres mask jersey, you know, and I because I didn't want the cheapy whatever thing you could get, you know, in town <laughs> yeah. at the arena. Like I wanted the real, you know, Doreen, you know, 
sweat like a pig in the middle of summer jersey while you're wearing it, you know, like just this, you know, off, awesome jersey with the real crest and everything. I was like, that's it. Like made him take me up there and buy it for me for my birthday. <laughs> but that's, that's you know, awesome, and then I, man. That's yeah, awesome. And then I went, I went and got it named a number. Like I, I went and I had to like, track down somebody to name and number it, you know? And I was, even then I was what, 13, and I was obsessive about the name and numbering. Like I remember out and looking at pictures that I gathered from the newspapers or the can, you know, Saver's calendar or whatever, and making sure and drawing out exactly how the numbers were supposed to be, so that when I took it to the lettering shop, they would do it exactly how it was supposed to be, and not just give me some stock number off the shelf. <laughs> That's I, hardcore, man. <laughs> yeah, I was obsessive about it. Like you know how thick the outline was, the shapes of the numbers, like everything. Like it's a one color name font, not a two color. You know, I was even back then I was like getting into this and like, yeah, obsessive about, about getting it done correctly. I, I remember my parents, um, one time got me, I was obsessed with like basketball jerseys. I remember I had like one for every day of the week almost. And so I had a Sean Kemp Jersey from the Sonics and I oh, remember yeah. it was like, that <laughs> it didn't have the stripe behind the word Sonics. It just said Sonics, like in this font. I was like, this is not right. This is, can you not? And I, I tried to explain to my parents, like, can you not see that this is not the right jersey? Like, something's wrong with this. Yeah, this is, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you've ruined Christmas. <laughs> I know. I, you know, it's funny. I still have the, my Sabres jersey. I still have it. I still have it from when I was, when I was a kid. And uh, I got it named and numbered with uh, Tom Barrasso, number 30, because he was uh, rookie of the year, Vezina winner when he was 18 years old, when he started with the Sabres. And that was like, that, that kind of got my, uh, that's kind of like where it started, you know, with that, yeah. with that Jersey obsession there. And then, um, even younger, what was it? Uh, Super Bowl 16. Uh, I remember, uh, that was another big year for me. Another marker was, uh, Super Bowl 16. That was the year the, um, the Bengals switched to the striped helmet and the stripes, uh, motif on the, on the uniform and the pants. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind. That just absolutely blew my mind as a kid. Like now, the Eagles had had the, had the wings on the helmet. The Rams had the horns, but for whatever reason, when the Bengals made that switch, light bulb went off in my head. I was I was done. Like I knew what I wanted to do. That's awesome. And I made Super Bowl. I remember making. I made a big Super Bowl, my own Super Bowl poster, and I had this little clipping from the paper because back then. There's, there was no big Super Bowl logo unveiling and all this kind of stuff. It was like a week before the game, I clipped out this little one by one, you know, black and white, icon, you know, uh, logo uh, of Super Bowl 16. And it was a, you know, beveled, you know, airbrushy looking thing. And I remember trying to mimic the, the airbrush style with my colored pencils and trying to get the gradients and all this stuff. Like, yeah. You know, rubbing it with the tissue and Q-tips and stuff, and trying to get that gradient, you know, from an airbrush effect. Wow! And uh, making a Super Bowl poster, and that was um, 
but that was a big deal for me. Like that was that, and and probably that uh, the obsession about jerseys and especially most specifically hockey jerseys and the authenticity of them um, is is what has been with me since since a kid and like i've never left it and um even to this day like i'm still uh i'm still a collector of hockey jerseys i have uh, a pretty good collection of authentic jerseys as well as uh game worn jerseys that um uh i tend to uh just have sabers like i've got a pretty big collection of game worn sabers not pretty big i got like that's that's a that's a that's a falsehood um well, you know, I think there, there's obviously Bruce Lee. Everybody knows Bruce Lee, right? <laughs> Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee has this awesome quote where he says, "I fear not the man who has practiced ten thousand kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick ten thousand times." And and I think that really sort of speaks to the. Um, benefits of being a specialist. And and I've I've always been a big advocate of special specialization, especially as I've gotten older and just my experience working in a lot of different industries and then coming back to sport. Um you you made this move, right? You made this move back into sports design and and even more specifically, you made the move to specialize even more to where you're literally designing uniforms in the NHL. It's not like you're just sort of like spanning the broad gamut of sports, but you have specialized in in this one thing so talk about your your give us some insight into that i mean um is that something now that you've sort of had this sort of well-rounded career that you just you feel good about where you are now and and sort of narrowing narrowing down to that because it sounds like it's sort of coming full circle with your passions from your childhood yeah you know what that's a really good point and um it, it is in a way like i feel like i'm um i've come full circle and like i'm i'm home you know, I'm I'm back doing content and happy as a clam, doing exactly what I probably maybe should have been doing all along. But um, you know, life takes you in different paths, and 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 I went and I went out and I ventured out and I did a lot of different things. But yeah, I've come back. I've come back. I've come back home. You know, <laughs> it's like putting on a big comfy uh, sweater. Um, it's nice to have come back full circle and, um, you know, all of the information and wealth of knowledge that I've picked up over the years doing, um, you know, working with different substrates and fabrics and um, apparel design and, and, and just even all the people I've worked with and managers and peers and mentors. And um, it's really helped me kind of approach this in a much more um, relaxed, focused manner, I I guess, in a way, um, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm trying to think of how to, uh, what I want to say here. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I think focused, I mean, that's a good word, you know, focused, that seems to, to really point us in that right direction as far as what I was looking for, because it's easy to sort of just do everything, try to be everything to everybody, right? Yeah. It's hard to narrow down who you do things for because you know in in a, in a way you're sort of it's scary it's really scary for business owners like especially like freelancers and things like that just because you're you're saying no essentially to potential money 
<laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like work out there. And it's like, well, I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't do healthcare work. I don't do healthcare yeah. industry design or whatever and that type of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, for me, it's, uh, uh, you know, my days at Nike and working on, uh, NHL and double IHF there was a huge benefit, obviously to me getting, this position that I have now and, and the role that I have now. I think, um, you know, that was my biggest um, kind of selling point <laughs> in a way, uh, you know, to, to my, to my managers, uh, my art director um, is that, uh, you know, I can come in, I've done this before the, the role that, that you've laid out that you're looking for. I've done that job. I've, I, was that job and um i can come in running there's no training there's no learning curve i'll be there day one and contributing right from the get-go and um all of the feedback that i've received has been positive that that's exactly what's happened so um and right from the get-go it was you know day one it was like hey guess what um Stadium series just got announced, so we need to start cranking on those. I mean, it was literally that quick. You know, yeah, and like that's the ones that you just got unveiled, like a Thanksgiving week, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because you guys are typically about a year out, right? Is that typically how it works? That seems to be how I understand it. Yeah, it's about nine to twelve months, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, some of these. Yeah, so I started February Stadium Series um, from the NHL standpoint because um, it's interesting because the behind the scenes stuff, you know, the, the NHL is trying to work these the logistics out of things. You know, they get a lot of teams who come to them asking for a game. They want a game. Obviously, they can't, you know, give everybody who asks for an outdoor game a game. Otherwise, it would be half the season. Right. Um, and they have to curtail it, you know, based on you know, their own, uh, you know, their own thought process of, uh, market, market share, TV revenue, you know, all of those things I, which they can speak much clearer about, but, you know, they have to take all that into consideration. And, you know, you hear a lot of people complain like, Oh, Chicago again, or oh, Pittsburgh again. And it's like, well, you know what, maybe those are the, you know, maybe they went to your favorite team and that team turned it down because they don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. So there's a lot of that that happens, but, um, you know, there's negotiations and, and things of uh, that nature that have to take place. So um, it's not always uh, a smooth process in terms of uh, um, finding out how much time you actually have to design the, to des- the actual design time that you have before you actually need to get these things signed off uh, by everyone through legal and then actually into, into production. So, you know, let's say this February we, you know, got the green light, like, okay, the stadium series games have been solidified. It's going to be, you know, so X and X versus, and we were like, whoa, those are, those are awesome games. Like, holy cow. Okay. Um, and here it is what now, uh, almost just, uh, what, two months Two months away, almost yeah, almost a month, two months away from the game. So, about a year. Um, but the actual design process was probably, geez, I'm trying to remember. Um, gosh, I can't even remember how. It, it wasn't as long as, as you'd ever put it this way. It, the design process wasn't wasn't as long as you would always hope it hope it to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, such as the sports industry. You know, yeah, it was like. <laughs> 
you know, hey, the Stadium Series, they just got solidified. Oh, okay, well, we needed the design yesterday, so. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you give us a little, give us a little insight into just what, what does it look like? I mean, when you're, when you go to work, right? Like, cause I think a lot of people are really curious about this particular uh, niche of the sports design industry and designing uniforms. And so, you know, uh, I'm sure you, obviously you guys have proprietary things you, you won't be able to share, but just kind of give us a rundown. Like what is, what does it look like? What does a day look like as a uniform designer working for the NHL? You know, one of the most passionate fan bases of, of just about any sport. Um, well, you know, it, it's funny cause the office is, you know, the office itself is kind of like, you know, your basic run of the mill office. And aside from a few racks with some, you know, jerseys hanging on them and, you know, some, you know, maybe racks of jerseys and some miscellaneous items laying around, you might not recognize it for what it is. And, um, you'd walk right by it and not even realize that, that's where the magic happens. So um, it's um, a typical day is, is uh, you know, depending on what's going on. Um, I, I, well, let's talk about the you know, stadium series. Um, when we got into that, I mean, every it was every day, all day long, just, you know, constant um, brainstorming uh, strategy. Just, you know, before we even got into, you know, computer before we even put sketches together, it was so a lot. So are you doing like mood boards and things like that, just trying to come up with like ideas? Obviously, you talked about the Czech Republic earlier, uh, your days at Nike, but just like, just the little details, you know, the little thing, the subtle things that most people won't notice. I know that you guys put that in, put that kind of detail into this work, especially with like the one side of the collar. You know, you got the the stars on the uh, the stars on the collar, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know, we you know, it's one of those things where we we broke it down by game, uh, not by uh, we we tried to look at it from a game by game perspective, but. Um, and these are the kind of things that, that are very organic. They, they, they evolve as, as the process goes along. And, you know, we might have started, I think we started early on, you know, just really blue sky brainstorming, like, what's the overall concept of, of both of these games as a whole? What is the design um, visual language that we want to get across from this, um, you know, from this huge uh endeavor of, of a stadium series and obviously the stadium series games are, are formatted as such where they're they're more of our um, kind of push the envelope type of, um, of of games you know with the oversized numbers um, definitely taking a lot of uh, you know pushing the envelope in terms of uh, color blocking and, and striping and stuff like that and where um, you know just kind of this visual uh, amp- this visual amplification of what's a typical hockey jersey is put it under a magnifying glass and then that's you know kind of the scope of it from the upper deck of you know Coors Field so um you know when we talk about that and we then we we each go off and yeah we put mood boards together or um kind of uh, graphic language that we think could fit into this. Um, you know, we each come, we each pitch it, we each kind of present our ideas. And then from there, we, you know, sort of formulate, you know, the best of the bunch. We go back, we kind of hone those down into tighter, um, tighter overall stories. And um, then we, we, you know, eventually, you know, through a lot of talk, a lot of strategizing, um, we kind of hone in on one. And then from there, we build more um, 
uh, kind of visual um, language around it to pitch to the NHL. And we'll go, you know, they'll we'll pitch to the NHL like, okay, the overarching concept of this whole thing is 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 this, and and for the stadium um, series, it's uh, you know this visual amplification type of a thing. So we'll have, you know, quick, easy, digestible visual images for for them to, you know, for them to get it. You know, you gotta. Um, uh, spoon feed, you know, the non-visual people, the <laughs> yeah. guys, sitting, you know, the guys sitting in the boardroom, you know, NHLPA and teams, you got to be able to, you know, give them a one shot picture and have them go, ah, I get it. Okay. I see Do you what go you're doing. as far as mocking these things up, like in Photoshop, or is it mainly just like illustrator based flat graphics? Well, all of this is even before there's even any oh, okay. jersey yeah, designs. So the concept done. Phase. This is all pre pre jersey design. This is all just getting our uh, story together. Like, what's the overarching story that we're go- that we're going to be telling in these in these two games with these four uniforms? And so, this is all you know even before um, even before we've even started even discussing uniform design or um strategy or uh for specific teams or anything like that so once we kind of get narrowed down and signed off in a way um from the nhl our our our, our idea and our, our, our theme for for the games um then we go back and then we'll just you know we will we'll talk you know we'll talk we'll talk about the we'll talk about the teams you know we'll talk about um, you know their heritage and who they are and what uh, you know what what is it about their uniform you know what you know like in this in this case it was um, you know I'll use Detroit for example which I think is personally probably my favorite one of all four that have been unveiled right now because I think it's the most yeah it's 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 my favorite too I like the big solid blocks of color yeah it, and that's the thing is like when you look at the Detroit Red Wings uniform right now. In its current home and away state, it's a classic, beautiful jersey, and there and there's no denying that. And you'll see people post on the board like, "Why ruin a good thing? We got the best jersey in the league." And it's like, "Yeah, you do. You got a great jersey. It's red. You got a white. You got you know a white stripe. What we did, you know, in, in a very simplistic terms, is we just amplified it. We took that white stripe and we just made it the most. We made it the most important." important part of the uniform we just amplified it up on that you know on the on the diagonal you know and created a uh wonderful secondary you know modern take on the uh old english d which you know which visually and in design language you know the design of it ties into the to the winged wheel the classic winged wheel you know, so it's just, I mean, in, in the simplistic terms, I mean, that's really, you know, the, you know, how we ended up there. It's, it's, um, uh, it's taking the core essence of each team's uniform. What is it? Is it their striping? Is it their color? And for Detroit, it's kind of a combination of both. It's that bold, all red, you know, uh, richness of the red contrasted with that, you know, great, crisp white stripe. That's the Detroit Red Wings, and and that's how we ended up where we did, and um, went through a lot of it, hit tons, and you know, lots and lots and lots of lots of iterations of of, of uniforms of all different aspects, you know, and different um, 
different scenarios and stuff like that. But ultimately, when it came down to it, that was the one that kept sticking out and kept going. That that's that's the Detroit Red Wings, you know. Um, it's um, you know, and all the little nuances and things like that, like um, you know, number fonts and uh, you know, stars on the collar and things like that. I mean, those come out in the process of it, and uh, um, we do a lot of. I think the one great thing about our group is that we do a lot of uh, brainstorming. We do a lot of talking. We we talk things through. Um, you know, we're all very knowledgeable about teams' history and their heritage. Um, as well as, you know, obviously insider, you know, having dealt with the teams, knowing, you know, just how, you know, how much they really hold that winged wheel, you know, true, true to heart, you know, I mean, the, I, I, I think I tweeted this out that, um, uh, kudos to the Illich family and Chris Illich, especially who, who was our main point of contact for stepping out of the box and doing something different because, you know, when we first got the brief and we saw the list of teams that were involved, we were like, well, Chicago and Detroit, okay, two original six, that's going to be a tough one because the stadium series is supposed to be, you know, stepping forward. And, and, and to have them come back and be more than open and very receptive to doing something different and that didn't have the winged wheel on the front, on the front chest, that was a huge win, huge victory. Just it, from a design standpoint, I mean, it would, we love the winged wheel. I mean, I love the winged wheel. I know what it means. I know that it's it's importance. But for one game and being able to step out and and um, you know recognize that uh, that what the design that we did pr- that we did present to them is still within their family and still within their wheelhouse, so to speak, of of who they are. They, you know, they recognize that, and that's. I think that is is huge, and that speaks a lot to um, that speaks a lot to their ownership. You know, being able to to um, to take that plunge. So, yeah, definitely. What? So, I'm. I guess I'm curious. Like you guys, obviously, you're specialized in the NHL, and I don't know if part of that was maybe just because Reebok of of its location, and now the you know the Adidas Group takes it over. But the company Adidas, obviously, there's uniforms getting produced for multiple sports. So, are are those other groups sort of siloed out per sport too? Yes, yeah. So we're we are um, we are located in in Boston, and um, which is really convenient for us because it kind of puts us halfway between um, New York, New York, and the NHL offices, so we can take the train down. And meet with the NHL when we need to, or if teams come in, uh, you know, we, we've been able to meet with teams at the NHL office. Um, and, and we've had a couple teams in our offices as well, too. So, you know, if they happen to be uh, in town you know, playing the Bruins or even during the summer, uh, stuff like that. So, um, but it also, we're also three hours from Montreal, which uh, that's where our main factory is up in Montreal where the Jersey production happens. So that allows us, um, uh, you know the convenience of being able to get to both places, and we have really good open dialogue with everyone at the at the factory in Montreal in terms of Jersey construction, um, Jersey innovation, um, all the things that we've been you know the innovation team that we have that we have in place and who are consistently working on uh, you know new uh, 
new fabrications and all the wear testing, all the fat, you know, the wash testing, uh, everything that goes on to make sure that, um, you know, all of the performance attributes that we put into the uniform, specifically the fabrics, um, and even the cresting and some of the, uh, the, the numbers, you know, trying to make, uh, trying to make numbers lighter, um, uh, even or making the numbers out of breathable fabrics instead of tackle twill, uh, you know, trying to make the uniforms lighter. Um, I know that, uh, you know, there's, there, there's always a, a good banter on, on some of the forums and things like that about, you know, uh, when people say, Oh, we've made the Jersey lighter and, you know, it's a performance attribute and people scoff at it. Like, Oh, come on. Do they really notice the difference? And it's like, no, actually they do. I mean, if you, you know the fabrics are lighter and they're more uh, they're lighter but they're also they allow more airflow the way the fabrics are designed now and created um they they have they allow a lot more airflow and like if you you know obviously if you hold up a you know ultra fill jersey from the 90s i mean those things are just bulletproof you yeah, know they, yeah. <laughs> they, you know they they're they're brutal i don't know how those guys played in that stuff so um uh you know so we have to you know, we're cognizant of all of that. And just even the substrates that we use for cresting names and number, you know, uh, you know, and what else can we use besides tackle twill? And it's, it's a fine line that we ride because we know that there's, we're cognizant of the fact that there's an inherent perceived value and always has been in relation to tackle twill and embroidery and triple layer tackle twill is just so much more you know it just means so much more to some people to have it on their jersey you know it means um and, and i guess i'm speaking more and team wise at retail as well as from a team level you know i think um but that's on the team level it's you know it's just an educational part on our on our side to you know really uh educate them on the benefits of what changing substrates and not having triple air tackle twill, doing a kiss cut, you know, number and, and, you know, reducing the weight of a number, um, changing up substrates and stuff like that. I think, you know, when we talk to the, to the teams or the equipment guys and stuff like that, I mean, they get it, they get it, but there's also, you know, still, um, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there's still that inherent perceived value of, uh, you know, well, yeah, but we've always had tackle twill and that's what we want. And that's, you know, that's what everybody, you know, that that's what, um, it means more. It's it, or it caught, you know, it just has this richness about it or whatever it might be. And that's, um, that's a big component of retail as well. Cause it's like, if we're doing a performance, you know, uh, let's say we, you know, reduce the hypothetical, just, you know, we take a team from two layer tackle twill to one layer tackle twill and it's, it's not even twill anymore. It's a breathable fabric and yada, yada. And you put that at retail, you know, somebody has a hard time holding up a $300 item and it's not tackle twill and it's not embroidered and all this, you know, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that a Jersey did 15, 20 years ago. It's hard right. for them to really, you know, pull the trigger on a $300 purchase. So, yeah, we're we're well aware of that, but at the same time, we're you know our main focus is um, to produce the best performing piece for the athlete on the ice, and the retail portion will figure itself out. That's kind of how, at least, that's how I approach it. Right. You know. 
we have to we have to do that. So it has a it ha- I mean it actually has a function at the end of the day, right? I mean, <laughs> it's yeah, not just yeah, about absolutely. the visuals. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and there is a differentiation obviously between the promo jersey, the actual on ice jersey that 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 the teams are given and the authentic. And mm-hmm. I you know, that that's always been the case in in like football and um you know, and then basketball at one point, you know, they offered at retail like, "Oh yeah, you can get the plus 3 long, you know, same exact version that Shaq wears and it's hanging down to your ankles and stuff like that." Right, so, right. <laughs> you know, but you know, the NHL game jersey is cut uh and articulated in the arms and in, in the seeming much different than your off the rack retail authentic. Now your retail authentic obviously is, you know, as close as you're absolutely going to get to the actual on ice game Jersey, but the on ice game Jersey is slightly different. Fabrics might be the same, you know, all your patches, all your other stuff, you know, is going to be exactly the same, but there's just that, you know, the articulation, especially in, you know, um, in, in certain areas, um, some darting and stuff like that to allow for more, uh, more fabric to allow for more, more room for, um, for the pads and things like right. that. And so, um, you know, and even when you hold the Jersey up, you can see, um, and I'm, if you can't see me right now, but I'm actually sitting with my arms up like scarecrow mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> you can actually, if you hold the Jersey up, you can see like the arms are slightly, slightly bent and you can see the articulation and how it's cut. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got you know, obviously with the with the switch over to Adidas and everything like that. There's, um, you know, um, the innovation tech team, fit. tech fit. Yeah, things we're looking to, you know, um, you know, uh, evolve the jersey. I think make you know, we're we're switching brands. I mean, we're not gonna just slap a logo on it and call it a day. I mean, Adidas is gonna want to have is going to want to, um, you know, make a brand statement. That doesn't mean. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean what everybody thinks that means, but um, <laughs> yeah, that, that could scare people because yeah. you know the, some of the some of the football side it gets a little even in some of their own words like a little patronizing, like they want it to be talked about, you know, whether it's negative or positive, like get it out there, you know. And hockey's such a traditional fan base. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, all of that is still being like we haven't even started any of that like that's still a ways away like uh you know what 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 the um what the adidas uniforms quote unquote are going to look like i mean who that's that, that's still tbd so yeah. um i i do know that um uh, i will say that uh the nhl is in good hands uh with a, a good crew of people who are knowledgeable and passionate about the game and understand the heritage of it. Uh, I don't think you're going to be seeing any crazy Oregon Ducks type stuff, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So, but, um, you know, we, we're very respectful of the fact that yes, the Detroit red, red, bleh, the Detroit red wings will still look like the Detroit red wings. And, you know, the, uh, you know the, the the Rangers are still going to be the Rangers and stuff like that. Right. So you know there's not there's not going to be. I, I think um, you know there's 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 that automatic knee jerk reaction of people of like oh my god they're going to put strikes on yeah. everything. So <laughs> that people hate change. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like oh god, it's like you know everybody had you know and and I and I think back and it's like I remember when Reebok got the deal and I remember hearing about they want to design jerseys that you tuck in 
They want to do this form-fitting, like, you know, shrink-wrapped, tuck-the-jersey-in type of a thing. And I'm like, what the? I'm like, really? <laughs> I remember hearing those rumors. And um, uh, and actually, those rumors actually were true for quite a while. They, um, they had played around, they played around with tucked in jerseys um with the edge system but uh that got killed really quick by the teams and by the it sort of, yeah it sort of kills the purpose of a of a quote unquote sweater you know like you don't tuck, exactly. you don't tuck sweaters in <laughs> exactly yeah only gretzky can do that you know or in the occasional ovechkin yager if he wants to you know you got a grandfather that in <laughs> right yes there was a there was a yager grandfather joke um but you know, the one thing I will say is that uh, what was I going to say was um, just in terms of uh, all the ins and outs that go into into creating, you know, designing a jersey. Not only the actual cut and seam, and and the, you know the the cut and sew of it, and the articulation, and you know and the fabrication, and you know the high impact areas, and using the right fabrics there, and where can you get better ventilation, and where can you do this, and where can you do that, and um, you know different you now signature necklines, things of that nature, you know, but also just the. Um, you know the actual embellishment of the jer- of of the jersey, the visual aesthetic that we all come to know as. You squint and you know that's the Rangers. You right. squint, you know that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's like you squint and it take it takes all the seeming and all that other stuff away, and then what you're left with is, you know, the essence of who that team is. And um, right. it, it's funny how. Um, you know, with my knowledge being on the inside and having been on the inside and kind of knowing the inner workings, it's always interesting to to uh, see comments on, on on the boards and stuff like that, and <laughs> just chuckle and um, you know how how people uh, you know I, I think like you were saying like there's a sports design community and I think there's a good passionate group uh, that that understand the ramifications and the ins and outs of everything that goes into um, you know a uniform design and in the case of let's say you know stadium series stuff since it's since it's out you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people involved in this you know and it's not all you know it's not Reeboks position to shove these things down the team's throats and say you're going to wear this you know they, right. they can't we can't we can't do that and the league can't do that you know the league can gently direct and steer teams you know a certain way but ultimately it's up to the teams you know where where they want to go and um you know some teams are very clear like uh, you know Minnesota Wild were very um they were already ahead of, kind of ahead of the curve. They already knew where they wanted to go, what they kind of wanted to look like. They knew what, you know, they knew they didn't want to stray from their primary mark. Um, they knew they had some other ideas that they wanted to pursue. And so they were, you know, they were a really great partner in that way. But, um, you know, uh, you know, and other teams were like, you know, hey, we're open to anything. Show us what, show us what you got, you know, which is great too. Um, and then others are, yeah, like like I said, we thought Detroit was going to be ultimately, cons- you know, very conservative, and they turned out to be incredibly uh, forward. You know, which I think, uh, I think when once you see the head to toe on that bad boy, like that's a jersey that really doesn't. Um, just seeing it on, you know, seeing Datsuk throw it on 
with a pair of jeans just doesn't do it justice. You know, when you see that thing with full-on kit, socks, pants, the white gloves, it's really going to pull together. It's going to look. It's going to look pretty sweet. So, um, speaking of, uh, you know, you've mentioned forums, and we've had Chris Creamer's been on the show, SportsLogos.net. He does a great job with that site. Uh, big fan of the site. Oh yeah. Um, but, I'm, I'm, I'm like an original member almost. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I, and I think that's cool that you get in there because it, it in a sense, humanizes the... It, it's easy to criticize a corporation, right? It's a faceless corporation or whatever that changed your favorite team's uniform, right? But But when you have a person there... It, everything's different. You know, it's like when you call Absolutely. customer service, you're like ranting and raving, and then all of a sudden the person on the other end is super nice, super sweet. And <laughs> exactly. it's like, oh, you know what? It actually wasn't your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you guys handle the criticism? I mean, you people are passionate about this stuff. You know, they they say what they want to say subjectively. Uh, you know, it's funny. We we um we laugh. We just we just have to chuckle. Because I, I, we, we have to, we chuckle, we get a good laugh because there's always, we, we've kind of got a running list of like the, um, the top 10 usual comments, you know, and it's always yeah. could have been worse, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my third grader could have done better, you know, that kind yeah. of a thing. It's <laughs> right. like, there's the, there's the top 10 default quotes that you always get, you know, it's, and it's, and it's funny. And, um, and you know, and then um, we just laugh about it. I mean, we honestly don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. We certainly don't take it to heart or get upset or write replies under a pseudonym or a fake account or right. anything like that. There's none of that going on. Well, and I mean, the reality is, is the, the people that are leaving the most, probably the most vitriolic comments, literally don't have a clue about the industry or just like the processes that go behind it, right? So it's almost a waste of time to even engage. What, what bothers me is when you go to like a place like um, Under Consideration or uh, Brand New, you know? Yes, and, yes. And the comments on there just from graphic designers. I mean, it's like, guys, you know very good and well, you're all designers. Nobody gets to do exactly what they want when you're working with clients. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so why are you being so mean? You know, it's like, I mean, I get, I get that there's like, if it's little things like, oh, the kerning on that could have been better, like actual, you know, feedback or whatever. But right. you know, if it's just like, well, that looks like some hipster thing or whatever, you know, it's, it's just like it drives me nuts. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and I agree with you, and that was that's you've made it perf- you made a perfect point, which is. Um, I and mean, that's what I was what I was saying as as well is that uh, uh, no, being on the being on the inside looking out, you know, it's it's like you know I sometimes want to you know have a um, have a class or or a podcast perhaps where I just educate people like, look, this is how the process works. It's right. not just us shoving it down the team's throat. We <laughs> yeah. didn't put a gun to their head to say, you're going to wear this Jersey. You know, it's, it, there's everyone involved and um, it's us, it's the league, it's the teams and there's multiple teams and there's multiple people on all of those levels. You know, I mean, even in the team, you know, in the team uh, situation, it's uh, it's different team by team. Uh, you know, you take uh, the Red Wings for example, and the the decision is made by the Illich family themselves. And then you go to another team, and the owner's not even involved. It's you know the equipment guy and the GM, or you know the head of marketing making the making the call, and the owner's off golfing somewhere, has no clue. 
you know, and then you, other teams, it's, yeah, other, you know, so it's a case by case basis. And, you know, some of them are, um, you know, obviously more willing to step out of the box and others are like, nope, our crest on the front, done. You know, right. we don't, we're not changing. Harumph, you know, the Lou Lamarillos of the, of the world. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. We don't, uh, we don't pay I mean, obviously when there's a, like an unveiling and stuff like that, like we'll get on and we'll kind of look at the like first, maybe, you know, couple hours of comments because that's when it really hits, you know, like everybody gets their, gets their two cents in right off the bat. And, um, you know, we'll read them and we'll get a good chuckle and stuff like that. And then we're like, all right, back to work. You know, that's right. pretty much, you know, and I think that's kind of what I was trying to say in the beginning was that having been through the ruckus of um when the denver broncos unveiled their uniform back in 97 oh my god you know the internet was at its infancy back then but yet oh uh, you know we were getting all the news feeds from you know um uh you know the rocky mountain news and and all that kind of stuff and i think the the writer woody woody purtle is his name or, or woody page i forget his name oh every I day think woody purtle is actually a pentagram designer he is a he's a designer right woody purtle did the old tgi fridays original <laughs> yeah, pentagram, yeah. right <laughs> woody page woody page i think is his name he's a sports writer out of denver oh every every day of the week he had a different you know op-ed about you know tree hugging hippie designers don't know Denver football and blah blah blah, oh, yeah. and it's like, hey, here we are, 2015. Look what they're still wearing, you know. Right. So you know, having been through all of that, and and uh, I, you know, it's, it, I'm I'm much more level headed, you know, in my age and wisdom and experience to be able to come in and and uh, let all that and let all that stuff just roll off of me because at the end of the day, I know that. Um, I know that we did our due diligence and did a did everything we uh, as designers were capable of doing to, to get the team into the best looking thing that we possibly could, both from a visual aesthetic as well as a performance uh, performance uh, situation. So right. you know, I'm, I'm happy with them. I mean, I think they look great. I mean, I know that, um, you know, I, I, I know what all the other concepts look like and I, um, uh, I, I think everything that they ended up with looks really great. You know, I mean, the Chicago one looks really great. I mean, again, it's that amplified stripe story and, you know, the regional, uh, you know, little nod to the local flavor with the stars on the, on the collar. I mean, uh, originally the stars were a kind of a much bigger idea that we had, but, um, you know, through the process and through the conversations, both internally as well as with the team, you know, it got, you know, I think it ended up probably in a better place, um, just as that, you know, that kind of nice little nod, you know, the period at the end of the, at the, at the, at the end, at the end of the sentence on the collar, just that little nod to, you know, the, the city of Chicago. So right. I, think that was per, I think that was perfect. So, but yeah, we do a lot of strategizing. We do a lot of talking about, um, you know, what, what is this, you know, who is this team? You know, who are they, you know? So, yeah. Well, man, we, this is uh, this is something we could honestly probably talk about for like forty eight more hours. <laughs> I think we're already gonna, we're already going to go down in history as one of the longest podcasts uh, that we've had. But it's it's all good. I, part of that, and just the listeners, they don't they don't know this. Um, I'll I'll tell them now. But we we actually stopped about an hour in last time. Eric had a meeting, and we we had gone so far we hadn't even got to his time at Adidas yet. So we wanted to come back, and I think coming back and approaching it with a fresh mindset, it's almost like a, a whole nother 
episode here, <laughs> which yeah. is which is totally cool, man. I'm I'm all, I'm all good for that. But just in in, in wrapping up, um, you know this, uh, I know this. There's a lot of people, especially now that it's sort of on a pedestal and you can actually see that these types of roles exist in terms of designing uniforms for ports for sports. And so many people are passionate about it. And, um, you know, just maybe for those that are traditionally trained in graphic design or, or maybe they've, they've done sports design before, but they're wanting to kind of make a transition into, into uniform and, and make, uh, some inroads, there what types of things are you guys looking for like how, do you have any advice for people on say i just completely wanted to change pass and now you know what i just want to design uniforms for the nhl or or just even like i'm a basketball fan i want to design uniforms for the nba yeah i mean i you know what i was meant to say early on was the fact that it, it um this position was never really posted out to the public as a uniform designer position. You know, it didn't say that in the job description. It only kind of came up as I was having conversation with conversations with um, the recruiter at Reebok and and you know she goes, "Well, oh, you know, I was looking at your resume, and, you know, this position is for the NHL and it is you know, it, it is uh, you know, uh, primarily designing um, uniforms." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" You know, like, holy cow, like, <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, it wasn't in the description. It was just like your general graphic designer type. Um, like Designer 2 or whatever. Yeah, like, like yeah. <laughs> those, like, those weird job, titles. Like, that job description. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Say that again? This is for what? And I'm like, oh, my God. I told her. I said, well, I'm your man. I said, I've already done that. I said, that's what I, that's actually what I'm looking to do. So it was just complete you know, blind luck that I got the right recruiter on the right day. And she was, you know, was very open and honest with me. And I was like, put me in touch with your boss, you know? Um, but in terms of advice, I mean that, you know, so my point is that maybe, maybe down the road, these positions will be posted as such, like, or they might be fall, they might fall under apparel designer, not as as much as they would a uh, uniform designer. Um, I think if you're a traditional graphic designer and you're looking to switch, I would try. Um, I would gain experience in apparel design. Uh, I would know the ins and outs of of cut and sew finished garments. I would know. I would get up to date on your fabrics, traditional fabrics, your cottons, and you know, marled heathers and piquets and your weights and your grams and your your. Um, all of that, as well as your performance fabrics, um, and potentially, probably even going deeper and really getting into fabric knowledge and what makes that performance fabric uh, performance. You know, is it a coating? Is it the way that it's woven? Is it, um, you know, getting into that type of more technical aspect of it could only help you in the long run, um, especially from a true uh, um, apparel design uh, of, of a uniform, whether it's for hockey or football or, uh, or basketball or any other sport, I, I, I would think that that would be um, really beneficial. I'm, you know, I have uh, been lucky enough to pick up all of that uh, knowledge along the way in, in all of my iterations. But, um, you know, I think if you were to seek that knowledge out, um, whether on your own or in, you know, uh, other positions, you know, kind of a career change here and a career change there just to kind of gain all that knowledge or, um, maybe you'll be lucky enough to find a position that actually, actually would let you, um, 
that would, that would allow you to gain all that experience all in one fell swoop at a, at a, at a company, you know, like a, like an Adidas or, or a Nike or, or an Under Armour or something like that. So, um, it, the, the potential and the opportunity is definitely out there. I think it's just a matter of, um, uh, talking to the right people and asking the right questions and, and being, and being upfront, um, about what it is that you'd like to do, because no one's going to, come to you. You got to go out and you got to find it yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think we're probably at no, at no better time in history than now for this type of thing. Just finding, being able to do the research and find the people that are in these positions. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, with, uh, you know, it's so easy now, uh, with LinkedIn and, you know, especially in the apparel industry and sports design industry, I think everybody is one degree of separation. So I think it's very easy to find the people that you need to speak to. And if they're not the one, they're going to point you in the right direction. Because, um, you know, in our case, you know, we deal a lot with the fabrication and, and the cut and sew of it. But then we also have, you know, we rely heavily on our um uh, on the people at the factory level who are really, you know, putting this thing together and, uh, you know, they'll come back to us and say, if we move this just down here and we add a dart here, it's going to allow for this. And like, so they, you know, they help us too. So it's, um, you know, it's a great, uh, collaborative effort, but, you know, um, I would say, um, if you could just, just start seeking things out and asking the right questions, I guess. That's cool. Good yeah, advice, man. Well, yeah, Eric, there's, dude, I, there's no I, I, easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, man, I, I really appreciate your time. It, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you down at um, in Houston for MLC. Hope to hope to see you again this year. Absolutely. Down there, and uh, just real quick, where can listeners reach out to you online, follow you, support your work, and that type of thing? Uh, yes, uh, I am on Twitter at e uh, at Eric Bottomer at Am I at Eric Bottomer? I forget. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, thank Your you. Your E Bottomer email. <laughs> that's the thing I got. I got confused when I was messaging you. Yeah, I think when I'm you. at Eric Bottomer on t- uh, Twitter, and that's B O D A M E R. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, and uh, my website is ericbottomer.com. And on, I was going to say actually on ericbottomer.com, um, uh, a, a lot of my apparel work is on there. A lot of my uh, print marketing and, and stuff is on there. But I also have a section called uh, dedicated to uh, the work I did at Nike under the hockey uh, moniker. Uh, specifically, uh, I put some of my work for um, the Olympics on there in the Czech Republic and USA. You'll see some mood images and uh, how kind of the, the storytelling aspect of how we got to um, the designs for those uniforms back then. And um, just in one quick note, interestingly enough, I have on there a, a, a never used, it, it's actually my favorite design I've ever done, but um, uh, for Team Russia, which was supposed to have been worn in the 1998 Olympics. And uh, it's my favorite design I've ever done, and it never actually saw the light of day. It never got on ice. Um, there were retail versions made of the uniform, of the jersey, and sold at retail. And you can still find them on eBay every once in a while. Um, but as far as I know, I'm the only person who has the only two existing um 
final prototype versions of the jersey itself. So uh, interesting story that they were going to go with that uniform and it was all signed off. It was in production. And then at the very last minute, the gentleman who was in charge of the Russian Ice Hockey Federation at the time uh, died in a quote-unquote mysterious car accident. (laughs) And um, the new people who took over the Federation uh, abruptly canceled the jersey. We're not wearing it. We're going to wear what we wore in the 96 World Cup. So, yeah, it was literally 11th hour just pull the rug out from under us and we had to scramble and uh, put into production this old sublimated jersey that they had worn uh, four years or uh, two years prior. So yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Serious but, uh, stuff, man. So. Yeah, but it's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful Jersey. If I don't, if I say so myself, I, it's one of my favorites, but, um, uh, I, I, I kick myself still to this day. I'm like, Oh boy, I wish that had made the ice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll put, uh, I'll be sure to put links in the show notes for, for all of these, all of these things that we've discussed today. Uh, once again, man, I really appreciate your time and, uh, and look forward to hanging out again in Houston. Me too. I appreciate it. As I said in the beginning, I, I am very appreciative, very humbled, and and thank you very much. It's 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 been fun. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. My next guest is going to be Michelle Cruz. Michelle is a senior art director for the New York Red Bulls, an MLS team that just wrapped up a fantastic season, which included the 2015 MLS Coach of the Year and a near miss to the MLS Cup by an aggregate loss to the Columbus Crew. The Red Bulls are not only doing awesome things on the field, but being owned by the brand Red Bull itself, a company known for innovation and putting out really creative, engaging content. Uh, The Red Bulls are doing interesting things off the field with their promotions and their design work. Prior to the Red Bulls, Michelle spent time at ESPN and broadcast design, as well as with the New York Knicks working with episode 54 guest, Alex Mount. In the meantime, you can check out some of Michelle's work at her website, cruisebydesign.com. That's C-R-U-Z, bydesign.com. Big thanks again to Eric Bottomer for taking time to come aboard the show and give us some insight into his career in in uniform design and some of the uh, things that went on at Nike all the way through Adidas today. Again, as he mentioned, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Eric Bottomer, E-R-I-C-B-O-D-A-M-E-R, as well as the NHL accounts where uh, the uniforms and things that he's working on get unveiled there. Be sure to head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to hear more from all guests of the show, and especially the halftime episodes where I discuss entrepreneurship, freelance, and more in the sports industry. The latest halftime is about subjectivity versus objectivity. Oftentimes, we run into clients or even sometimes ourselves dealing with inserting too much of our own personal opinions on creative work rather than trying to take a step back and look at the goals that the work is trying to achieve from an objective lens. This particular halftime touches on the differences between the two proper times for both and how being objective is oftentimes better when it comes to selling your work. So again, uh, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to listen to all the previous episodes. Also, be sure to sign up for Weekend Reads, a weekly newsletter 
where I write exclusive content and share things that I'm reading, links that I find interesting or inspire me, uh, and just general general interesting things from the world of sports and sports technology, sports entrepreneurship and business and that type of thing. In addition on that list, you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered after each episode is released to your inbox. The newsletters are really sort of morphing into another halftime. So if you if you like those, then please support the show by going and signing up over at makersofsport.com slash email. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and write a review about your experience with the show. That, if you really want to help the show that more than anything, is where you can help the show. iTunes really sort of gives weight to podcasts that have reviews and it helps the show get discovered by others. And as Eric and I were discussing, you know, we really want to kind of give out our secrets and, and teach people about this great niche of business that we work in and and let people know that this exists and really drive people to this. The way that you can do that is by sharing the show, rating the content so that others can discover it for themselves. Uh, Also, you know that I don't do ads on the show. There are no sponsorships. So all of the interviews and content are 100% free. Um, You're not having to listen to me sell some mattress or any type of templated website or that type of thing that you hear on basically every podcast. So you never have to hit the fast forward button when you're, when you're listening to these. So please uh, go and write reviews on iTunes or Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening to this in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.